Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Welcome this morning to Faith. So good to see you guys here today. I'm going to get really excited about Thanksgiving. Yeah, going to be, I, love, I love Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday of the year, and uh, I hope you have a great time with your friends and family this week, eat plenty of turkey, and uh, watch a lot of football. We're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about a festival they had in the Old Testament that kind of is a lot of like our Thanksgiving. But before I do that, I want to read a letter to you. Uh, you can take your Bibles out and just be ready on Hebrews 10. Uh, let me just share this letter with you very quickly. It says, it's been our privilege to serve Pastor Larry and the great team here at Faith Assembly. When we came here, Pastor Larry and the board wanted to build a connector between children's and youth ministries. We have accomplished this through prayer and team building. Today, with the support of Faith Assembly, we've been able to lead this healthy team to growth and success. Tracy and I will be transitioning to lead pastor in Wichita, Kansas, a Generations Church. Our last Sunday at Faith will be December 21st. Our family has truly enjoyed getting to know you and to love each of you. We will miss you all. Please pray with us as we journey back west and begin a new season in our life. Also, many of you have asked that we, uh, and prayed for us in our adoption journey. Just this week, we've been approved, and they will be ours very soon. Thank you, Pastor Kelly and Tracy Ward. Kelly, stand up. And if Tracy's in the house, I don't know if she's here yet this morning, give these guys a hand. They have been a great asset in addition to the body of faith right here. And uh, you've got about uh, three or four weeks to just show your love to them and appreciation. They've done an awesome job in our family life ministries, children, youth, overseeing the whole thing. And what a blessing they've been to this body. So it's exciting as he begins a new journey and lift him up in prayer as he prepares to go and make their way back to Kansas. Why, anybody would want to go to Kansas? I don't really know. I don't understand that. Unless you're uh, Dorothy and Toto in uh, Wizard of Oz. I don't see Kansas, but anyway, they'll have fun there and uh, do a great, great work. Let's stand together today for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 1. And I'll just read the first verse today for time's sake. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law is only a shadow of good things to come. Father, today as we open up your word, open up our hearts this morning, I pray. God, we need you. We need to hear from you. I pray, mighty God, that your presence will fall down, that today in this house we will experience another Pentecost, another move of God. We need you. We love you. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. We've been looking at some powerful shadows. In fact, there are seven feasts that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23, and we begin looking at those feasts together. And Leviticus chapter 23 opens not really with a feast, 
but something that was celebrated every single Sunday, Sabbath day, excuse me, uh, every seventh day of the week, uh, and it was the Sabbath rest. And yet the Word of God tells us in Hebrews uh, that there yet remaineth a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And when we enter into the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into his rest, and what a place that is. And then we looked at the celebration of Passover. Passover celebrated their deliverance out of Egypt. But the word of God says Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And because of his death and resurrection, he has delivered us from bondage of sin and hell and death and set us free and redeemed us and bought us back unto himself. And Jesus Christ is my Passover. And then we looked at first fruits. Looked at first fruits. First fruit symbolizes the, the resurrection out of the grave. And so when they took and they waved those sheaves before the Lord uh, and they went and they cut it down on that first uh, day after the Sabbath following Passover and they were going to celebrate by waving their sheaf of the first fruits, the word of God says, Jesus Christ is my first fruits. And the history of one is the history of all. And because of what Jesus Christ did, I enter into him and so identify with his death and his burial and his resurrection. And because his body came up out of the tomb on that third day, it guarantees that I will rise again also. And these old weary bodies are also going to come up out of the ground. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my first fruits. What an incredible celebration we had. And boy, what wasn't it fun baptizing people last Sunday morning? About 50 plus were baptized at our four campuses, and we celebrated. That was awesome. And uh, celebrating with all those who have died and were buried and resurrected into Christ Jesus. Now, we're looking at Pentecost today. So turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. This probably is maybe one of the most familiar of all the feasts, and uh, we are Pentecostals. We believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit for today, uh, and so this is a very familiar feast to us, and I want to go back and look at the origins and look at how it played out in history and how it was fulfilled by the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2. It says in verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were gathered together in one place, And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Jump down to verse 11 and describes all those who were gathered together. And we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues now now day of pentecost now when i talk about the the feast of pentecost or i talk about pentecost or i mention that phrase immediately our mind goes to acts chapter 2 and we think about and when the day of pentecost was fully come but it actually the feast all goes all the way back to leviticus chapter 23 where all the feasts are listed there it is also called the feast of weeks based on seven sevens. And so uh, seven times seven is 49. The day after the Feast of Weeks, or on the 50th day, Pentecost, it was actually 50 days after Passover. And so 50 days later, the Feast of Pentecost actually occurred or came about. It was the culmination. Remember we said seven was a very sacred day, a very special number in the Jewish numerology. 
And so seven was very significant. So after seven sevens, plus one day, was Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. And so Pentecost was a grand celebration. It was kind of like our Thanksgiving. It was very festive. Everybody came together. They all celebrated together. So let's take it, break it down. We're going to look at the shadow first, and then we're going to talk about its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ and on that day of Pentecost. Now, it was one of the great harvest celebrations. So when they're celebrating Pentecost, they are celebrating the harvest that God had given. Remember, first fruits, I said first fruits was the beginning of the harvest. And on first fruits, they would go down, and the fields were still just ripening. They were just turning green. They would go down and take their sickle and take the barley out as it was just beginning to ripen. It was the very first fruits. Fifty days later, they're going to go out and take a harp. They're going to begin harvesting again because now the harvest has been completed, and so it's mostly primarily a wheat harvest. And they would gather that harvest, and they would bring that in. Now, for Pentecost, they would take and they would make two loaves of bread. And so, and that becomes kind of the center of the whole celebration. It's a day of great rejoicing. It's a day of great celebration. Bring, they, they, all the people come and they bring the first fruits of their grain from the harvest fields. They bring them into the temple and they celebrate by worshiping the Lord in the temple. He said, on this day, I want you to gather the strangers. I want you to take the poor I want you to take the aliens and I want you to invite them to come and join with you and take all your honored guests and bring them together and watch football. No, it didn't say that. But it's kind of sounding like our Thanksgiving, doesn't it? You open up your table to all your family and all your friends and your in-laws and your outlaws and, and uh, people you like and people you don't like and people don't have a place to go and you bring them in and you celebrate together. It was a great time of rejoicing, a great time of celebration on this occasion that was taking place. Now at the heart of the celebration was the grain offering, the grain offering. And you read about the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2 and Leviticus chapter 6. And he describes the grain offering there. And what they would do is take very fine flour for the grain offerings, and they would mix it with oil, and they would bake it. But it would never rise or, or, or uh, get larger because no yeast was put in it. There was no leaven put in the grain offerings. This was very intentional because leaven symbolized, it symbolized the wickedness or the evil or, or our, our sins, our failings, our failures are all separated by the leaven. It symbolized corruption. And so when they had the Passover, remember, they had the unleavened bread and it was a part of the Passover celebration. It was saying we are no longer a part of Egypt. We are being set free from bondage and we're coming out of that corruption. And so leaven stood for corruption. But something was different about Pentecost. He says, I want you to take that fine flour, but on this occasion, I want to take you to mix it with leaven. And take the leaven and take the fine flour and mix it all together. Mix it up. Pour in the oil. So you have leaven, fine flour, and oil. Mix it all together and then bake it. Now you say, and then they would take, and on that day of Pentecost, they would raise these two, bring these loaves into the temple. They would raise them up. Remember the wave offering? They would wave them back and forth as a wave offering unto God on that day of Pentecost. 
Okay, you say, why? What, what is the leaven? Why we include leaven now? We don't include it in the other celebrations, the other feasts. The fine flour, very, very fine flour, is symbolic or a shadow of the perfect life of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus Christ came to minister on the earth, the power and the oil of the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he ministered among us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so you mix the fine flour and the oil, and you have your grain offerings, your cereal offerings. uh, But the leaven is a shadow of imperfect humanity, of our sins, of our weaknesses, of our imperfections, of our failures, All that is symbolized by the leaven. Oil in the word of God is a shadow of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit. And many times throughout the word of God, you see that that oil used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what is happening in this celebration of Pentecost, it is a celebration of our being united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our imperfection mixed with his perfection, we become one through the Holy Spirit of God. We are in him, he is in us, we are totally and completely mixed together and then you remember i said they held up two loaves of bread this is a shadow or a foreshadowing of his church that would be made up of both jew and gentile it was never to be a strictly jewish church a jewish body but god came and he gave his life for all nations all people and so they took two loaves and they waved them up before god symbolic of jew and gentile coming together to make up his church Beautiful, beautiful pictures and shadows there. God always had a plan to include all nations. Remember Exodus chapter 12, when God takes the children of Israel and he brings them out of Egypt? The Bible said there was a great mixed multitude that came out of the land of Egypt. Both Egyptians and Israelites were coming out of the land. All those Egyptians who saw the signs and wonders and believed on the Lord God came out of Egypt on that day. In Leviticus 23 and 22, He's describing the Feast of Pentecost. And he says, leave the gleanings in the field. He says, when you go out and you harvest your fields, I want you to leave the gleanings. Don't don't strip it bare, but leave the gleanings on the field. He says, for the poor and the alien, I am the Lord your God. And then you know that story of the book of Ruth, an incredible story of a Moabite lady. And she goes in, and Boaz had followed the word of God, and he was always conscious to leave the gleanings in the fields so that when Ruth could go in and begin to harvest, all the gleanings were there because the foreigners and the aliens and the poor were being taken care of. That was God's way to take care of the poor and needy. We take an offering. We take a one-day-to-feed-the-world offering. That's to go and feed the poor around the world. But, but they, it wasn't a cash currency. It was an agricultural crop. And so they said, leave, leave if you would, the gleanings in the field. And we know the story because of that, uh, Ruth, is bought out of, uh, is redeemed by Boaz and brought into the family, and now she becomes a part of the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you get to the day of Pentecost. And when that day is fulfilled in Acts chapter 1, 
He said in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you see God's new church that is being birthed. It's not just going to be a Jewish church. It's going to be Jew and Gentile, every race, every tribe, every nation coming together in the family of God and the body of Christ. This is all foreshadowed on that day of Pentecost in the Old Testament. So it was a celebration of the harvest. And, the, and, and we know that on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, they would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The harvest, the great harvest that God was going to bring in was about to occur. Now it was also a celebration of something else. Pentecost became a celebration of the birth of the nation of Israel and God giving his law. It was believed that it was 50 days later after they were across the Red Sea. Where did the first place they go when they camp out at? Mount Sinai. So they get to Mount Sinai. They make that journey there. And then the Bible says Moses goes up into the mountain and he's up in that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he receives the law of God. And so when they were to celebrate Pentecost in Leviticus 23, it was also symbolic of the day when God would give his law for the nation of Israel and a nation would be born. That became the constitution for the nation of Israel. And so they came to the base of the mountain. God gave the law and and God would show Israel his way and how to glorify him through the keeping of the law. Remember what happens on top of that mountain? The Bible said the glory of God came down. We sang that song, glory fall down, glory fall down. And you saw it in a powerful way at Mount Sinai. The glory of God comes down. That mountain begins to shake and tremble, the word of God says. There was a loud sound and a loud noise that was coming and rumbling like a trumpet, it said, from on top of Mount Sinai. God spoke out of Mount Sinai like a trumpet and there was on fire it was uh, the top of was on fire and it was glowing now i want you to remember that they were celebrating the giving of the law on pentecost what happens on the day of pentecost well there was a noisy thunder on top of the mountain but the bible says on the day of pentecost there came a sound of heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind In Mount Sinai, God's voice spoke, the word of God says, like a loud trumpet. In in, in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, God was once again speaking through his church in unknown languages or in unknown tongues to the people who were gathered there. On Mount Sinai, the Lord descended on it like fire, and the glory of God came down, and you would look on top of that mountain, and it was glowing with the presence and glory and blazing of God. Uh, But in Jerusalem, there were cloven tongues like as a fire that set upon each of those who were gathered together in that temple area or in the upper room. Uh, In Mount Sinai, the Bible says the whole mountain shook. Uh, in, In Jerusalem, the Bible says that after the day of Pentecost, they shook the world with the gospel, and it was said of those, these are they who have turned the world upside down. There was a shaking taking place on that second Pentecost. The law, the Bible says, is a shadow of what is going to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I read it to you in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 1. The law is a shadow to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they celebrate that giving of the law. Now, here's the problem with the law. The reason the law is only a shadow 
is the law. Even though Paul says it is good, it is holy, it is righteous, it is God's law for man, uh, the law is good, the trouble is the law shows me how bad I am. It shows me how sinful I am, how, how wicked I am, how absolutely powerless I am to change myself. The law brings me under condemnation because I know I cannot save myself. I know I will never be good enough. I know I can never, ever live up to God's own righteous standards. Now, Paul says the law is good. It was never meant as a straitjacket to keep you bound up and tied up and bring you into misery. Really, you could call it the, not the ten laws of God, but the ten freedoms of God. And in keeping the law, there is freedom. In obedience, there's freedom and joy. There's a better life for you. Those laws are meant to protect us. And so when I keep God's law, I don't get in trouble. I don't, I don't, I, 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 it, it, it's the, meant for my own good. The commandment is love in action. And he says in the New Testament, all the commandments can be set, summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that sums up why God gave the law. The law is all about loving God and loving people, and the law itself is good. The problem is I can't keep it. I try to be good, and I keep blowing it. The law makes me realize that, that I'm guilty. We uh, took a trip to the Dominican Republic, and we built a uh, church there. We were going to build a church. We are going to put on a new roof. And so I, uh, you worked with steel. It was black steel. It was raw steel. And first you had to take the steel. The, the, you just got 20-foot-long 20 20 pieces of, of steel, and you had to rub it all down. And so we took all this uh, uh, thinner or whatever it was and we put it on top of we take these rags and I had to we had to wipe them all down and then they're all cut to size they're all laid out and cut to size on a template and then you begin to put them together and our welders came and they begin to weld on those things and then we had to flip them over and we had to make about nine of those eight of those things and then we had to stand them on top of the roof and so we'd get them up there, we'd pull it up with ropes and pulleys and we'd set them and that became our trust system for the church we were building. And I remember sitting there one day, flash that picture if you got it. I'm sitting there, and I'm minding my own business. We'd been working really hard, and there it is, right there in the middle. And, uh, and, and you know, I, and I, I knew I was dirty because you're working with all that stuff, but I didn't realize how dirty I was until they took a break, and we went in for lunch. And we went in for lunch, and I'm going to wash my hands to get ready for lunch, and I look, my face is black. And I don't know how I got it all over my face. I wasn't rubbing my face up against the steel or the metal. I don't know how I got there except it would get on my arms and I would wipe my sweat off my brow with my shirt and I'd take my shirt up and I'd be wiping my face off all the time I'm making my face blacker. And when I looked in the mirror as I was getting ready for lunch, I looked like one of those coal miners they just rescued out of the, the mine who had been in there for 25 days, and they're pulling them out, and they're all black with coal and soot, and they look terrible. The only thing is, the only way I didn't look like them is I wasn't near as thin as they were after 20 days. And so that was kind of a giveaway. I hadn't been in a coal mine somewhere. But it was the law, and the, the, the law is like a mirror. The law shows me how guilty I am. The law shows me how black I am and how sinful I am, the law. And even if I kept the law in my deeds or in my actions, I, I broke it in my thought. 
And so Paul, when he talks in Romans 7 about the law, he says, man, I could keep some of those laws, but the one that nailed me is covetousness. And he said, the law showed me how hard, how black my heart was because I coveted. Had I not known the law, I would not have known how covetous I was. And so when I face the law and I face my failures, that's what the law is all about. And I try to prove I can do better than this, and I keep trying to please God, but I still fall short of the glory of God. And I fail, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now turn to Romans chapter 7. I've alluded to it a couple times. I want to read a few verses. Let me just read three. Uh, Romans 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin is except through the law. It's that mirror that shows me what sin is. For I would not have known what coveting was, really was, if the law had not said, do not covet. Paul said I'd have missed that one altogether. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. As soon as that law goes up in front of the apostle Paul, he realizes how covetous he is and all kinds of the desires that are on the inside. For apart from the law, sin is dead. If there is no law, you do whatever you want to. There's no consequences. Uh, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Now here's the law given by God. He says, it goes down and says, it is good, righteous, and it is holy, righteous, and good in verse number 12. He said, the law is good, but what happens is it's, it showed me all the evil desires inside of me. Uh, and so the law literally brought death. So when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. The law reveals how hopeless and how lost we are. You ever made this statement before? Oh, I, I just don't know what came over me. That's really not me. When you blow it, when you get upset, when you say something you shouldn't say, what do you say? Oh, that's, that's, that's just not like me. Well, it is you. Sorry about that. That is you. It came out of you. You literally said those things. You said those things you never thought you would say because it really is you. I'm going to try to illustrate it for you. Say there's a big bull. It's a a hot August afternoon. He's lying out in the field, I don't know, four or five tons, three or four tons. I don't know how much those things weigh, a couple of tons. And he's lying out in the field. He's got these big long horns, huge bull. And, and, and he's just laying there, sleeping, minding his own business. But what happens when you go out and you see that big bull lying there sound asleep and you take a red coat? You start to wave it up and down in front of that bull. Pretty soon that bull begins to get up. He begins to prance his paws. He begins to snort. And pretty soon he's charging after you and you're running for the fence as fast as you can. Now, did that red cape turned that bull into a bull. That bull was always a bull. It just brought out what was already on the inside. 
And he says that's what the law is like. It's like that red cape. It brings out something that is already on the inside. Paul says, I would not have even known what covetousness was all about had not I saw the law of God. It's like a red cape waving in front of him. Here's the law, and it shows him how sinful he is, and something rises up on the inside, desires we never thought we were capable of. The law does two things. First of all, it shows me how guilty I am. and number, It's like that beer. And number two, it shows me how helpless I am to change myself. The law knows no mercy. The law is all about justice. Now, in Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah 31, he says this, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Now listen to me, no longer, there, he said there's a day covenant when I will make a new covenant with man. Uh, I'll take my law, I'll put it on their minds, I'll, I'll put it on inside of them. Now no longer is the law something that is out there that I'm always striving to attain, uh, but now I have a new covenant. It is Christ in me, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And Christ said, I will be in you and I will be with you. Uh, he says in the branch, I am the branch uh, or I am the vine and you are the branches, abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit in your life. It is two people living as one coming together. It is the fine flower and it is the leaven. It is the two coming together in one in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Pentecost is all about. The shadow of the loaves, the shadow of the leaven, the shadow of the fine flour, the shadow of the oil. And then Jesus comes into us by his Holy Spirit. The leaven and the flour is mixed with oil. And then from men, he lives his life through us and does what we could never do on our own. Isn't that exciting? Say someone comes and gives you a note. He's a very important person, very, very special person. Uh, and he says, come and meet with me on the 10th floor of, the, of these towers or whatever, or wherever he's at, and, and up my office suite. I want to meet with you. I want to be with you. Come meet with me. And you take that note, and you go up to the outside of that building, and you say, I want to go up to the 10th floor. And you start jumping up and down, but you know you're never, ever going to get there. And then someone comes along and says, what are you doing out here? You're acting crazy. I'm trying to get to the 10th floor. I got somebody very important I want to be with. He said, well, just come with me. He takes him inside the building, pushes a button, elevator opens up. He walks in, no more jumping up and down, no more striving, no more fretting. He just simply rests in the elevator. And then it opens up, it gets to the top of the 10th floor and opens up and there you are in the presence of that very important person. Now let me tell you, let me explain that analogy. The law was that note that came down. Uh, the law of God was that note that says, I wanna be with you and I want you to be with me and so here is my law, here is my 10 commandments. But the problem is we jump up and down and we can't do it and we can't fulfill it and we can't get there, we can't come into the 
presence of God, we're just jumping up and down, going through the motions, trying to somehow please God. But then someone comes along and says, hey, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me tell you about someone who gave his life for you, Uh, someone who rose again on the third day, and that elevator opens up, and we walk into that elevator, and then we are lifted up in the heavenly realms, uh, and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, That's what the law is all about, and that's what the grace of God is all about, and that's what Pentecost is all about. God's perfection mixed with our imperfection, and we are one in him, and what we can never do on our own, uh, now he comes and puts his law in my heart and in my mind. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. That excites me. Paul says it's no longer I that live. It's Christ that liveth in me. The day of Pentecost is the leaven and the flour. God's imperfect, imperfect people, us, me, you, coming together. We can't earn it. It's only because of what Jesus Christ has done. Have you ever wondered why, when you read the Word of God, there are stories of people in the Bible who are very, very flawed? And I'm not just talking about everyday people. I'm talking about very, very important people in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take David, for example. David is now written, he's about 50 years old. He's over 50 years of age. He's now written half of the Psalms that we have today. And he has a best friend. And his best friend is a man named by, by the name of Uriah. He says, Uriah, we're such good buddies. Come, there's some property next door to me, next to the palace. Come and live next door to me, and we'll be buds, and we'll hang together, and all of this. And so Uriah moves next door. And Uriah is out to battle, and David takes and he begins to look out at the roof of the next-door neighbor of Uriah's wife and sees her out there bathing. And the Bible says he brings her unto himself. He has sexual relationships with her, commits adultery. He tries to, the, the one problem, though, is she gets pregnant. And so he tries to cover it up. He says, Uriah, come back home, take a little siesta with your wife, hang out here for a while. And he says, how can I be with my wife when all the soldiers are fighting out on the field? And so that doesn't work. And so he sends a note back with Uriah. He seals the note. He says, by the way, General Joab, when you're fighting against this wall, when you're coming against this fortress, I want you to get Uriah on the front lines. While you're on the front lines, I want you to pull the rest of your troops back so that Uriah will be left out there by himself. And Uriah, my best buddy, will then be killed. And that's exactly what happened. And so David's sitting in his palace, relaxing, hanging out, and he gets a letter back from General Joab and says, I've got good news and bad news. I've got good news. We were able to take the fortress and, and the war's going well and everything's happening good, but the bad news is... Your best buddy, Uriah, has been killed on the front lines. And David says, well, can't win them all. Win a few, lose a few. Exactly what he said. Not quite King James language there, but win some, lose some. And then he goes through this seven-day mourning, phony mourning period where he's going to mourn for the loss of Uriah. And as soon as those seven days are over, he marries Bathsheba, the lady he had had this affair with. And then he pretends for one year that nothing's really wrong. He runs business as usual outside of his palace for the land of Israel until Nathan comes to him and says, Thou art the man. 
Now, you ever wonder why God gives us all these gory details? Why all this is included in the word of God? And I could talk about Moses, and I could talk about Abraham, and I can talk about Peter. All these guys are seriously flawed. He does this not to shame them, but to glorify his name. God, through the word of God, reveals his grace and mercy. That is a thread that runs all the way through the word of God. And he says, these are ones I've included in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ in the family of God. And so what he's saying is, Jesus Christ can take our worst and put it together for his glory. It is all about God's grace. It is not about us. We're saved by grace alone. All of us are flawed. We all deserve to die. We all deserve to go to hell. But God loves us. God is gracious. God is good. God made a way of escape. We have any, we have any gardeners in the house? Any gardeners? You're like, how many guys got gardens? Boy, this is a lazy bunch out here. No, no, there's a few. Okay. <laughs> you know what? If you get, if you've had a garden before, what what you try to do is you want to get the very best soil possible, and so you will create what is known as a compost heap. My grandfather had one, and he'd take all the old leaves, he'd put it in there. He'd take all the junk out of the kitchen, all the food that wasn't eaten, and he'd throw it all in this compost heap. He'd take all the filth, he'd mix it all together, and then he'd let it set for a year. And it would begin to decay, and the worms would get in there, and it would just, it would just rot and stink and smell. But, but he would take that compost, and that became the very best soil in the garden. How many know God has a redemptive compost heap? It's made of people like you and me. And he takes people like us, his compost heap, all the filth out of the kitchen and he takes all of our junk and he turns it into something for his glory and out of that comes something very beautiful and so this this day of pentecost celebration of pentecost celebrated the harvest first of all and then it celebrated the giving of the law and that's all fulfilled in the lord jesus christ and then third it's it was a celebration of praise unto god And so this day of Pentecost was to be a great gathering or a great praise celebration. Now let me tell you what they did with these two loaves. When they got into the temple, when the priest got in the temple on that day, he would take these loaves and he would take some oil. And he took the oil out. Now it's already been leaven and flour mixed with oil and then baked. Okay, you got it. But then he would take more oil and he would pour it all over the top of these loaves. Then he would lift it up. 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 a.m., he would come in. It would be the time for the ceremonial lifting of the loaves. He'd lift it up in the air. Remember I said as a wave offering, back and forth, dripping in oil, the oil running down off the top of the loaves, off the, off the side of his garments, all, raising it up into the air in praise and worship and thanksgiving unto God. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 14. What happens on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, it is the pouring out of the oil. The leaven, the yeast, and and the flour come together. They are one in Christ Jesus, a new nation, Jew and Gentile, his church coming together. 
But there's still one more thing that had to occur. The oil had to be poured over top of the loaves. And that happens in Acts chapter 2 when he pours out the Holy Spirit on his church. Now look at John 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus Christ is about to leave his disciples, and he tells them something very important. He says in verse number 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you. Everybody say with you. With you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be, everybody say, in you. Now, he describes the Holy Spirit in a couple of different ways in this context. He says he will be with you, and the Holy Spirit will be in you. Okay? Now, follow my, my reasoning here. The Holy Spirit will be with you. The, the, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, or our counselor. It is God's desire to come along and be with us. And so God comes down, and he is with us through his presence, through the Holy Spirit of God. God always desiring to be among his people. And so in the Old Testament, you would see that there were men and women of God who the Holy Spirit would come down and he would be with them and he empowered great men of God. And so you see Samson who was moved upon by the Holy Spirit of God and David and Elijah and Elisha and Daniel. And and when they would anoint kings, they would take the oil and they would pour it over top of the king's heads. It, It would run down their garments. They would pour it over the priest when the priests were being anointed for service, set apart for service. They would take that oil and pour it over them. Uh, the Holy Spirit was with them. But remember in the case of Samson, when he got up to fight that morning and, and his hair was cut and he didn't realize he'd gotten a shave that night and, and he gets up to fight the Philistines, he says he did not realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. So you get the sense that, that God would come down in dynamic, incredible ways for those special occasions as God dwelt with his people. But he said, and the Holy Spirit is with you, he shall be in you. In John 20 and verse 22, after Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, what happened? It says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now something has happened. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He rose again on the third day. And now they are going to have the Holy Spirit within them. He will not just be with you as a paraclete, a comforter. Now he will be in you. So what happens when they took the bread? They had the flour and the leaven. It was all mixed with oil. The Holy Spirit is now going to be in them, in his church. He resides inside of us. Christ lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit comes and and he dwells inside of his people. He dwells in his church. Remember, Remember, God has always desired to dwell with his people, to be in his people and you go back to the garden and the tabernacle and the temple and now he says something is going to happen i'm not just going to be in the midst of the camp in the middle of a tabernacle somewhere out there in the wilderness i'm going to come and dwell inside of every single child of god he now lives inside of me he will be with you and now he will be in you but now turn to acts chapter one there is one more phrase that i want you to notice acts chapter one Verse number eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit. Now, what happens? The Spirit of God is in us at salvation. But he promised there's a day coming when the Spirit of God will be on you. It was foreshadowed when they poured the oil out on the loaves and they lifted them up on the day of Pentecost and they waved them before God. Now something dynamic is happening. God is pouring out his spirit on his church and he shall come upon you. He will cover you up completely. And then you take these, these loaves are waved as a praise offering to God. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be lifted up as a praise unto God to be used for his service. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We not not only praise God with our lips, the fruit of our lips giving thanks, but he says the very, your very lives themselves become a praise unto God. You shall be my witnesses. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1.6, the Bible says he chose us, he adopted us as sons to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given in us, the one he loves. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that word into is used in a couple of different ways. Into can be used in terms of location. In other words, you're out in the hallway and you come into the building. And so you change locations. Uh, but the way it's used here is into is a result. And so in other words, you take the frog and you kiss the frog and he turns into a prince. Okay? You know the fairy tale. He turns into the prince. It literally means you become something else. And, and, and the writer says, at one time you were lost, you were in sin, but God turns you into his marvelous light. You literally become a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about our life changes. And now you're a waved unto God. You come to the church, you praise God with your lips, but it's much more than that. Your lives are changed, and so your everyday life, everywhere you go, at school, at home, at work, at the office, is lived out as a wave offering or a praise unto God. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless, but you are changed. You ever wonder why it was Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached that first sermon? Some of you think just because he had a big mouth. That wasn't exactly the reason. He could have used John. He could have used Andrew. He could have used Philip. He could have used anybody else to preach on that day. Why has he used Peter? Because 50 days earlier, Peter is saying, I don't know the Lord. And he denies him with cursing. He cusses like a sailor. And he uses all kinds of words you thought never would have come out of Peter in that moment of fear. And he, and he purposely chooses Peter. Now, if it were us, we'd put him on six months probation. 
You go through years of therapy and counseling and then maybe we'll use you again somewhere in the church. Fifty days later, he takes him. You know, he uses him. Peter is selected to be the very first preacher in this brand new church because he understood firsthand the grace of God. He understood the grace of God like nobody else among all the other disciples. His life tells a story of God's grace better than any theologian ever could. God is gracious. God is good. What does he say? And you shall be my witnesses. You will be changed into my light. Peter becomes a demonstration, a living demonstration of the grace and glory of God. And so our lives are raised up as a praise offering to God. Something else happens on that day of Pentecost. The Bible says their lips are set free. And the Bible says there are nations gathered from all around the empire who had come back into Jerusalem for that great pilgrimage feast. And it says they heard them praising God in their own tongues and in their own languages. And the Bible says they began to speak in other languages. And all those who gathered around marveled because they heard them praising God in their own languages. Their lips were praising the Lord. Their lives become a praise unto God. They become his witnesses. And as the oil was poured out on the loaves and raised up in praise unto God, these 120 who were gathered together, the oil was going to be poured out on them. Uh, They're all gathered together. They're in the temple area. Some people believe they were filled in the upper room. It actually occurs in the temple they were in the upper room having their prayer meeting. They wake their de- make their way down in the temple on the day of Pentecost. And, and so when the priest is up there, he's poured on the oil. He's waving it before God. The oil's dripping over. All of a sudden, there's a commotion starting up somewhere else in the temple. And pretty soon, they're not watching that priest anymore waving those loaves. Uh, they're looking uh, because now it's being fulfilled. Uh, now the shadow is becoming a reality. And God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on his brand new church. Uh, and those 120 believers, uh, they are being filled with the Spirit of God. It is now coming upon them. It's already in them. Now he comes upon them and they hear them praising and glorifying God in their own languages. Hallelujah. It was a shadow of the Feast of Pentecost would give way to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then that early church filled with the Spirit of God would begin to bring in the harvest. Bring in the great harvest. God's redemptive mission to the world was being unleashed. Now, here's what I want you to get today. I've got I to close. I'm out of time. Here's what I want you to get today. Pentecost was never meant to end. Acts 2 was just the beginning. It's interesting when you study the book of Acts, there's no formal ending. Acts is supposed to go on and on through his church. And every church of every generation is to be a demonstration of the outpouring of God's love, God's grace, the power of God's Holy Spirit as it was on that day of Pentecost. You know, some people look at our roots and our history and think, well, Azusa Street, 1904, 1905, 6, 7, somewhere right around in there, that's when God poured his Spirit out in America. And that's where the Assemblies of God looks back to their origins and their foundation and we look back a hundred plus years ago and we think that's when God poured out his spirit he did it in Acts chapter 2 2,000 years ago and I want to tell you in every single generation there have been pockets of believers groups of believers who have been 
filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who have been praising God in unknown languages, who have been operating in the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, those, those nine gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, working of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of faith, gifts of power, these gifts that God gave to his church through the Holy Spirit of God. That has been happening every single generation. Pentecost was never, ever meant to stop or end. There's no cut date. Okay, this is it. You're done. I'm done pouring out my spirit. Every generation is to be a demonstration of God. We are to be his witnesses. We are to be those wave offerings before God, our very lives, the spirit of God in us, the Holy Ghost poured out all over us so that we might be his witnesses so that this church in this generation, Faith Assembly of God, right now can keep bringing that harvest in as we celebrate Pentecost. Hallelujah. My sinful leaven mixed with the fine flour of God, grace, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit within, dripping now with the oil of the Holy Spirit poured upon, that I might show forth the praises of him that's called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, that I might be that wave offering unto God, not just on Sunday morning with my lips coming in, singing a few songs, but every day of my life lived out as a praise offering unto God, full of the Holy Spirit of God, full of his power in me and through me, that I might do what God has called me to do, and that is fulfill the Great Commission and bring in the last day's harvest. Hallelujah. Oh, give the Lord praise. I, I was flying. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God is still pouring out his oil. Still pouring out his oil. We're going to pray this morning. And uh, I, I just get so full and excited. I just look at the word of God. I study the word of God. It's so rich and so meaningful and I can't stop. So I know it's been a little long today. But I'd be remiss if I, we didn't go to prayer. And we seek God. I believe that God's glory and power wants to be poured out again in this church, in our body, in this congregation today. Hallelujah. Now, in the upper room, I'm going to give you some instructions, and then we're going to pray. In that upper room, there's 120 gathered together. They were the main nucleus. His disciples, followers, ladies were there. All kinds of people were gathered there. And he said, I want you to go and tarry, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they tarried and they prayed and they sought God. Ten days. Now some people have a notion today that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they've got to tarry. The tarrying was done on the first Pentecost. His spirit was outpoured on the church it was freely given but you don't have to tarry today the good old pentecostal word some church you'll still let's just come and tarry let's just keep tarrying and tarrying and all we do is tarry and nothing happens listen it's already been poured out so you don't have to tarry you don't have to wait five hours three hours ten days two hours one hour 15 minutes you can be filled with the holy spirit immediately immediately you can be baptized we call it the baptism in the holy spirit Remember I said he already lives within you. He's in every single child of God. But now he wants to come upon you. That you might be 
my witnesses. He wants to further equip us to do his work, his mission, and his ministry and fulfill the Great Commission. He will come upon you. So what we're going to do in just a moment, we're going to stand up. I want everybody who wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to come and line up across the front. We're going to pray for you. There'll be spirit-filled believers around you. They'll be praying for you. They'll, they may pray for you in a language you've never heard before. Just, just you, just they're just praying for you in the Spirit. The Bible talks about praying in the Spirit. Praying, uh, Paul says, "I pray with my spirit. I also pray with my understanding." And so, when you pray in the Spirit, your spirit man bypasses your understanding. And you, the, the Romans says we are praying directly according to the will of our heavenly Father. So we're going to pray for you. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Get your hands up. Begin praising the Lord. Begin worshiping Him. Be that praise offering. Uh, be that wave offering before God. Uh, but, but begin to pray in that heavenly language uh, that the Holy Spirit gives you. It said in Acts chapter 2, it says, He gave the utterance and they spoke it out. So the Holy Spirit will give you words that you've never heard before. And I'm going to tell you, when you leave this place after being filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got a powerful intercessory prayer language uh, that can be a powerful weapon in the hand of God. We're going to begin to praise the Lord. You'll praise Him. You'll praise Him in English. You'll praise Him with your unknown language and let the Holy Spirit be poured out on you. Don't be fearful. He says in Luke chapter 11, if your heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to His own children, how much more? Well, your Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. He says, if you ask for a, 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 a loaf of bread, will He give you a rock? Ask for a fish, will He give you a scorpion? God's not into bait and switch. You don't have to worry about coming up in an environment like this and, and the enemy coming in and give you something that's not of Him. God will give good gifts to those who ask Him. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And He wants to pour it out on you. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.